three, two, one. Welcome to the Kill Count, where we tally up the victims in all our favorite horror movies. That was a request from the oh, I know that the one. subreddit. Yeah. yeah, it's a. I forget the channel name already. It's not one that I usually watch. Oh wait, here it is. Dead meat. Dead meat. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It was a. It was a request. Uh, we're Sardonicast. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sucks. I'm Ralph from YouTube.com slash Ralph the Movie Maker. Hmm. And I'm Alex from IHG, and we are joined by a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself, David? I'm David F. Sandberg, also known as Pony Smasher Online. <laughs> What's with uh, that name? Yeah. Wow. It, I started a YouTube account when it was pretty new, so I was not sure, like, oh, what is this? What am I going to mm -hmm. do with it? Is this going to become a thing? So I just, yeah, I didn't want to use my real name or anything. So I was just like, uh, Pony Smasher. <laughs> you don't have anything against Great. ponies. And yeah. And then the YouTube channel actually took off and it, suddenly I was Pony Smasher for yeah. forever. And your Twitter. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny now when it's like you get a variety article or something on Twitter and it's like, oh, at Pony Smasher. It's oh like, man. Yeah, super professional. You know, you know my Twitter <laughs> handle, right? Like, like, it's, it's so much lift. fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the the yeah. best part is when, like, professional, legitimate businesses contact me. <laughs> or, like, industry yeah. people. Like, oh, hey, too gay to That's live. That's funny. Uh, so, yeah, we mentioned, uh, I guess I guess we just said who you are. But we didn't exactly say what you're most well known for is not necessarily your uh, Pony Smasher online presence, but your film career. <laughs> yeah. You've directed uh, Lights Out, Annabelle Creation, and Shazam. Yep, all true. So Lights Out was originally a uh, a short that you posted on YouTube. Yeah. What was the whole process like between it becoming a big thing on YouTube versus creating a, an actual feature out of it? Um, it was interesting because, yeah, my wife and I made this little short for uh, an online horror competition. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, a couple of months after we'd uploaded it, it went viral. And uh, all of a sudden, I was getting all these emails from people in Hollywood who wanted to talk to me. You know, agents, managers, producers, studios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was almost a year-long process of talking to people and then getting, you know, signing with a management company and then picking agents and, and all that stuff. It sort of was becoming more and more real during this time. And a script was being written, a deal was being made, and... But, you know, my wife, Lotta, and I, we didn't really know if this was a real thing, if it was actually going to become something. So we kept making shorts on YouTube and we had plans for making a no-budget feature, just the two of us, because mm -hmm. we just didn't dare mm. trust any of all this, you know, like it could all just be bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, but then a year after, um, we actually got the call. I mean, first, it was like nine months after... They actually paid us to come to LA to meet with everyone, to meet with like James Wan was going to be a producer on it, mm -hmm. to meet the studio and everything. So then it was like, okay, mm -hmm. this is probably real. And then uh, a couple of months after that, we got the call like, yeah, movie's happening. You you have to get on a plane and get over here. So we just sort of locked our apartment, got on a plane, and, and yeah, we've kind of been here most of the time since. Wow. The rest is history. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, pretty much. No, I mean, it's every filmmaker's dream, and it was pretty scary as well, because I, I'd never made a movie before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, hands-on experience, really. 
And it seems as though yeah. uh, with each feature you've directed, the uh, user and critical scores have been higher each time. Each one is made, uh, well, not necessarily made pr proportionate to the budget, but... They've been quite successful, yeah. I've been, been lucky in that. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, just waiting for that total bomb that will break me. Well, <laughs> I mean... Not naming names, but there's quite a few people in the industry that have made some bombs that still have healthy careers, right? So Yeah, and it, it feels kind of, I, I, like I wouldn't say safe now, but it feels like I could probably afford a bomb or something. Because I can always do a, like a tiny horror movie. I'm sure someone would put up the money to do like another mm -hmm. horror movie, you know. Like Jason So, Blum. yeah, it feels like I, I probably have a couple of chances before <laughs> it's all over unless I just spectacularly oh, fail or fuck up you know yeah don't don't be <laughs> don't, don't stress yourself out i mean you got a you've got <laughs> yeah. a really great thing going yeah no but it, yeah it was funny because when i was making the you know annabelle creation uh, you know i was talking to one of the studio women there and uh yeah saying like yeah i kind of hope that this is going to become a career and she was like well you were there already <laughs> like, yeah your yeah. second movie it's like oh yeah but i don't want to take anything for granted you know Man, I, I, I bet it's uh, really humbling for people at home to know that even uh, industry professionals get a lot of uh, like self-doubt <laughs> and uh, yeah. questioning I in their own situation. But like a lot of uh, imposter syndrome, like you just yeah. feel like, oh, any day now they'll, they'll, they'll realize that it's all... <laughs> bullshit you know did you have any history and did you go to film school or have you always been dabbling no. in making your own shorts or was it what, what was the lights out moment <laughs> yeah i always made little short films uh since i was a kid you know like on vhs in early 90s uh, late 80s even eventually i started doing animation because it was something i could do all by myself because mm. when, once you got up in your 20s it was sort of harder to get friends together to make movies because people yep. had jobs and lives yeah. so i started doing animation and in 2006 i made this uh little short film and uploaded to youtube which was just like a year old or something at the time i think and it went viral in scandinavia because it wasn't swedish so like it didn't go outside there but that actually led to getting some attention there like i got to be on tv like oh what's it like having a viral short and and that led to some some work mm -hmm. doing uh little animated like commercials and, and things like that so i was freelancing doing that for a few years until i felt that i mean this isn't really what i want to do like what i want to do is live action movies and mm -hmm. like genre mm -hmm. movies and, and i kind of realized i had nothing to show for myself like yeah i want to do horror here's animated humor i've made yep. so yeah. i needed something to show that yeah I, this is what i want to do and this is what i can do which is why uh, Lotta and I started making little horror shorts. Yeah, proof of concept means means everything in terms of getting yes. funding. And now, I mean, yeah. it, it, especially now, like this this bridge between YouTube and uh, like Hollywood entertainment, you know, the the gap is getting shorter and shorter. I mean, now the celebrities are going to YouTube instead, like <laughs> their old old yeah, channels, and yeah, and all those guys. It's kind of like a symbiotic relationship at this point. Yeah. That's what I saw living in Sweden. You know, I saw Fetty Alvarez. You know, he made a short called Panic Attack and got to do the Evil Dead remake. Or, oh, yeah. Or Andy Muschietti, who did uh, the short film Mama and then did the feature film Mama. So it's like, mm. yeah. I saw that happening. I was like, oh, I wonder what that's like. And then I got to experience it myself. A lot of YouTubers becoming filmmakers. 
There's the guy, Mystery Guitar Man. He made a film recently. Yeah, too. Joe Penna. Yeah, Joe Penna. It was a really yeah, professional Con, movie. Right? Yeah, it was a can. Yeah. With Muds Mickelson in it. What, what movie was that? Uh, oh, was Arctic. that the Ar- Arctic, Arctic or something? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was made by a guy who, uh, you know, has had like a pretty big YouTube channel for a long time. And uh, his YouTube content isn't even mostly just like, oh, yeah, hey, I made a short film, upload it there. It was actual like more YouTuber style content. So it was really yeah, interesting to see him. Musical related kind of. Yeah. And when he mm. sold that movie, he couldn't really use his YouTube channel to sell it. He had to go off his like talent as a filmmaker. And yeah. he still made it, so it's great. Yeah, you know, a lot of us aspire to be in that position, like mm. the our audience and and me. You know, yeah, Ralph's in film <laughs> like school these, right now. These, like, yeah. yeah. Well, I just graduated, actually. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just like no, no problem. <laughs> but it's like we just want to like we're making YouTube videos now, like crummy with no money, and we just hope to be in that position one day. So mm-hmm. it's cool to like talk to someone who's in that. It's directing yeah, it's very inspiring. big budget superhero films <laughs> like Shazam. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna ask if you, because um, yeah, our, our audience is uh, filled with a bunch of uh, film students and you know young people, twenty something year olds, and I'm wondering if you have any advice for young aspiring filmmakers now that you've kind of uh, had somewhat of a success story. I mean, the, what I keep saying is just to keep creating things mm-hmm. because I mean, not only will you sort of, you get better and better at it, but you also don't know what people will respond to. Like I, I talked to a guy uh, here in town who, like, he made this big web series, like, kickstarted it, made several episodes, and and it looked like really professional and everything. And he was like, "Oh, this is going to be the thing, right?" Nothing came mm-hmm. of it. And then he and some friends did a, a like a little action video just for fun, like a first person perspective kind of action video, put that on YouTube. And that's what got him all this attention from Hollywood and got him into meetings and things like that. So it's like you can't really plan for it. You just have to keep creating things that you like until mm-hmm. something clicks with people or like the right people see it. So because mm-hmm. I mean, that was the thing with Lights Out as well. Like we didn't have any thought of a feature for that that was just a short which actually helped as well because when you get to hollywood things are you know you're selling the rights to it so you're not going to own it anymore and like it's never going to turn out exactly the way you want it to so mm-hmm. i think if lights out had been our baby like oh we, for years we wanted to make this feature and it's going to be this i think that would have been very disappointing because now it was just like yeah sure take it we don't want that just <laughs> Get me, you know, let me direct a movie. Yeah, whatever. I'll take it, you know. So I I think that kind of helped, actually. I think that's some pretty solid advice because uh, I I think it's important for people to be, like, realistic about their expectations. And as you said, you kind of created your YouTube channel not even understanding, like, if that's what you were going to be doing, really. Like, you could have been been a YouTube content creator instead of a professional (laughs) film director, right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm kind of both because I'm still <laughs> putting oh, stuff yeah. up on my YouTube channel. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that you're doing that's that great. too. Yeah, that's what I've always wanted to see. Like I've I've always loved behind the scenes content and it's been so hard to find. Like because a lot of the times it's just sort of promotional like yeah, everything was great on set and he's such a great actor and in the end go see the movie, you know. Like I've, I've always wanted to know like well what's it like? And that's why I've, even with the shorts I was making these behind-the-scenes videos of how we made it and, you know, how we solved problems and things like that because that's what I want to see. So, yeah, I'm just trying to give people what I want to see because not many others are doing it. Yeah, I think it's great to have, like, that sort of 
perspective too. You're someone who's kind of like thrust into it and figuring it out. And, you know, you said a lot of really um, interesting things about like test screenings that I appreciated. <laughs> yeah. And just like the different variables and how, you know, it's not necessarily make or break. I think that that's an important thing for people to understand. So you, uh, you watch a few different channels on YouTube. You've been around on YouTube for, for a while. I think there's some people in the audience, and I think Ralph and Alex were curious about this too. We follow each other on Twitter. That's how we got this set up, because yeah. you watch my content, and I know you watch Red Letter Media. Yeah. Are there any other YouTube channels that you, uh, you check out? Any other names to throw out there? Yeah, I mean... I'm still sad that Every Frame of Painting isn't doing videos anymore because uh, mm -hmm. those guys were awesome. Yeah, they do them for Criterion now. Yeah, but where do you even... Uh, you gotta buy the Criterion <laughs> to watch their content. Yeah, <laughs> but... yeah I love that. So I sometimes watch Lindsay Ellis. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Red Leather Media, as mentioned. Occasionally, recently, I've watched a guy called Phil Mento. That's the mm. only one I haven't heard of. Yeah, it was just sort of a... I, <laughs> I saw like a video, it just popped up in my feed about sort of talking about a failure of a movie or something. And then I was like, ooh, I wonder if he's talked about Shazam and <laughs> what he said. And he, and there was a video on Shazam. I was like, oh, and he actually liked it. So it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to watch some more of this guy. Have you seen any negative reviews of your films on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... They, they, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> there's always negative reviews, but I can't think of a specific one right now, but there's always some, some negativity, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's YouTube. There's a lot of negativity on I YouTube. I mean, it's the internet. It's, it's you know, yeah. well, it's just in it's general. putting yourself it's what you out expect. there in general, yeah. you know? It's, it's part of the culture. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of charming. The annoying thing is, though, you know, a lot of people are, they have this sort of philosophy all themselves. Oh, you got to tell the filmmakers what sucked about it so they can improve. And it's like, I am very well aware of what sucks in my movies. Like, it haunts me every day. So, it's like, so to then read about it, it, it like, I, I don't really care when people say, oh, that movie sucked. Because mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's just taste. Yeah. But it's yeah. like when they point out specific things that didn't work, that I know didn't work, it's like, ah, oh, god damn those it. Like, those are the ones that hurt because it's yeah. true, you know. Well, I mean, like, the best way to, you know, ensure that you're still uh creating great things is to be self-critical too like as long as you're not like overly self-critical yeah. to the point where it's like debilitating i guess but mm. yeah clearly you you're somewhat of an introspective person from what i gather at this point yeah i mean you yeah you always want to improve and like you have to and movies just they never turn out the way you expect them to and sometimes yeah. that can actually be parts of it can actually be better than you expected it to but that's more rare when it comes to creating art like unless you have infinite resources and an infinite amount of time you know and every actor is able yeah. to to work with you forever it's like there's some things that you probably just have to let go like even if you recognize yeah. that there's a flaw in some part or something that you think could have been done better there's you know sometimes you just yeah. have to accept those things and uh, yeah but i'm pretty good at you know once the movie's out there i'm like okay that's in the past now i'm moving yeah. on like i'm gonna make better things in the future right. like i would never want to go back and like do a special edition or something oh yeah yeah like no like a george it's a... lucas re remaster of the movie <laughs> yeah no the shazam special edition <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah i mean some people get obsessed with that there's a i don't want to mention names but i, sure. I when i was mixing the sound for shazam they were telling me about this 
famous director who made a classic movie mm-hmm. like 25 years ago or something. And apparently he's still working on it. Like he's still sort of recutting it and still mm. fixing the sound wow. and things. It's like, well, why? I guess he's going to maybe he'll release a new version. So I mean, that's kind of the Apocalypse Now story, I guess. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He's still yeah. working on that movie. Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. a few of them. I, I've never liked there being different versions of movies because it's like, yeah, Blade Runner, which version am I going to watch? Because there's things I like about this, but not about that. And yeah. I, I want there to be just a definitive version. Yeah, I, I hear you for sure. There's some instances of films where like the the actual vision for what the director wanted the movie to be is just wildly different than what the theatrical yeah. cut wound up being. So it's like it's kind of understandable if like if they get the opportunity to finally <laughs> show what they wanted the film to be. Um, I don't yeah, I don't no, see much true. of a disagreement with that. But yeah, having like yeah. having way too many different versions and you know just not being able to let something go that is a bit. Strange. Yeah, because they, they they actually asked me on Shazam, it's like, do you want to do an extended version for home video as well? So there's like, you know, so oh, people yeah. can buy two versions. But I was like, no, I just want there to be one. Because yeah. and a lot of times mm-hmm. those extended versions, it feels like, oh, they just put extra stuff in there. Now it's just longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be the selling point sometimes. Yeah. Or the uh, unrated cut. <laughs> Shaz- <Yeah>. Shazam <laughs> unrated <laughs> they all die yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all rated cut. Ralph and Alex did you did you guys want to cut in with some questions here I, I've kind of been yeah, asking the, the majority of them there's yeah, a big question mark in my head right now that I'm very interested in that being the jump from there's a consistency between Lights Out and Annabelle it's horror and then suddenly Shazam yeah. is in the mix which tonally completely different it's sort of an action comedy with the odd bit of horror thrown in there. Yeah. I'm wondering, how did you get that gig based on your previous work? The, a new line called me up and said, hey, we have this project called Shazam. Would you be interested in directing that? This was right after or when we were actually finishing up Annabelle Creation. And I was like, absolutely. Like, I'm not sure why they thought <laughs> of me. But I, I think, I mean, part of it is that at least at new line, they're very much like, if they like you, they want to work more with you. And like, right. like, you know, like if you're not an asshole, <laughs> just difficult all the time, they're like, yeah, let's find something else to do together. Because this was a pleasant experience, you know. So it, it pays off to not be an asshole, I guess. Or if you're an asshole, <laughs> you have to be yeah. really <laughs> talented. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, no, so it's like, yeah, they call me up and I was like, you know, I'm not going to ask them why they want me i'm just gonna go like yeah, yeah let's do it you know? of course you're gonna do it yeah but yeah. were there any unexpected challenges of oh, changing yeah. genres um like that because obviously it's, it's a very different like style yeah not so much it, it was just more technical things like i'd never worked with vfx on that level and stunts mm. and action and things like that because in some ways it was going back to humor for me because like people in Sweden who might may know me for my, my humorous shorts, you know, I, I was actually told by people like, Hey, you should do like a comedy or something. So in some ways it was actually going back a little bit to my, to my roots. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the challenges were, were all in just the scale of the movie and, and yeah. all these new things like the visual effects that are, I, I hate shooting visual effects. Like it's, it, it's cool. But it's just, it's really boring to shoot. And it's such a long time in post of just watching the same things over and over again. It's like, yeah, all right, we have uh, several hours of VFX reviews. And it's like, 
Yeah, it, no, <laughs> it's not a, a great experience. <laughs> and then, you know, you run out of time and there are VFX shots that no more time to work on. We have to put them in the movie. And then people online are like, oh, the VFX sucks. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, I didn't go, that's perfect. No more work, you know, pencils down. But yeah. you got to have VFX if you want to do those big movies. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that must have been pretty intimidating from like a jumping off point. Yeah. Because, I mean, I have, I'm interested in visual effects myself. And then for the previous two movies, I actually did uh, a few shots myself where it was like, well, I'll just do it myself. I'll get what I want and it'll be great. But, you know, on a movie like that, it's just on such a scale and such a complexity that's just yeah. like, well, I'm going to have to trust you guys. Like, you tell me yeah. what you need to, like, I'll, I'll tell you what I want the result to be and you tell me what I need to shoot, what, you know, what elements I need and what we need to do to, to get that. And, mm -hmm. I'll just, and you go off and do it. Um, and then it was working with second unit as well, which was uh, just weird. Like, I've never had, you know, someone else come in and shoot parts of your movie and a lot of it was fun parts so i was like you know <laughs> i had it scheduled for a big part of the shoot so that you know during the day we shot main unit and then during the night they shot second unit so i could go to that too and be like you know get very little sleep but at least i was there and could go like no that's wrong or change this or it's not not very healthy but yeah i didn't mm -hmm. want to just leave over big chunks of the movie to, to someone else was it also fairly um, intimidating in terms of uh, responsibilities jumping from essentially what, what is your own original IP onto like Annabelle Creation, which is now a part of like a larger franchise? That didn't feel so intimidating. I mean, Annabelle yeah. Creation has been the best filmmaking experience I've had so far because, you know, Lights Out, everything was new. Everything was scary and it's like if i fuck this like this is my one shot at hollywood <laughs> if i fuck this up it's yeah. gone you know so it's like constant anxiety okay Annabelle creation was like you know we had enough money and enough time to do the things we wanted to and it felt like okay now i know how movies are made and it was just such a pleasant experience awesome and then then doing shazam was kind of back to that everything is new and everything is crazy and it's like oh I, i've never done this before so it wasn't always as fun but i did sort of have this thinking of like well if i fuck this up this is a completely different genre something else then it's just like mm. oh i guess i can't do superhero movies but i can still do horror movies mm -hmm. and, you know I'll, I'll get more chances at that so it felt like i had something to fall back on but it was still sort of yeah new and big and scary yeah, uh, how glad were you that um, the Shazam character at the time, or before you started working on the movie, or the movie was coming out, not that well known of a character? No, compared to which like, is good. if you get the call and they're like, yeah, exactly. If you got the call and we're like, we want you to make a Batman reboot, for example, like, yeah. there's something more limiting and intimidating in terms of like you've got all the previous cinematic interpretations, whereas yeah. Shazam, this is a new character to sort of explore. Was that like quite? fulfilling because uh, it's your voice as the first like major way that general audiences are seeing this character yeah no and that, that was great like yeah there's no comparison to anything before really and mm. yeah introducing it to a lot of people i mean if they would have gone like hey do you want to be a, do a batman movie like yeah, i would have said yes to that too <laughs> but yeah it would have been a lot of i mean especially sort of fan expectations because yep, exactly. everyone is going to have their own 
vision of what that character should be and then with shazam it was a lot less of that i mean i still got emails and things from people like this is what the movie has to be <laughs> and i, I also <laughs> saw, saw a lot of like comments from from people who obviously wasn't familiar with at least the origins of the character because they were like oh it needs to be dark and gritty and all this it's like have you read the old comic books with like the <laughs> yeah. talking tiger and, and like all this <laughs> Like, it's goofy as hell, the original Shazam <laughs> yeah. comics. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I guess it was that whole, they just saw what came before in the DC universe. And were like, well, Shazam needs to be that too. But it's, that's not who he is. So we're going to want to move into the uh, Lighthouse discussion in just a couple minutes. Ralph, did you have any, uh, I, I guess you didn't really have oh, much of it. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about <laughs> Lights Out. Like, yeah. that, all that stuff really fascinates me. So in 2013, you made the short which yep. is like very cheap it's i i'm guessing it was like in your apartment yeah what was the leap or the biggest leaps going from that to making the actual film feature film three years later technically i mean like the the crew like uh financing what were the biggest hurdles to get through to make that film yeah finance since it was a studio movie it's just like yeah, yeah. we want to do the movie here. And they just, you know? just like that, like they saw your short, Crazy. and and they just gave you the money to make the film. Uh, I mean, kind of, because I mean, the the steps were were basically I got in touch with a producer. It's like he, he I want to do the movie, blah blah blah, and mm-hmm. uh, and he was like, like we should have a big horror name as a producer on it, and he was like, the only people who can sell horror is James Wan or Guillermo del Toro. So I was like, great. So he went, sent it to James mm-hmm. Wan uh and he loved the short and it's like yeah i want to produce the movie we got a writer and then james wan was like hey i have this really good thing going on with with new line cinema let's take it to them and they were like james wan producing viral short good script sure let's do it and it, it and it was just sort of happening hmm. so yeah the, the big hurdles were more sort of I, I i guess the biggest one was just working with others mm-hmm. getting used to yeah. that just because <laughs> when you shoot everything yourself and you edit yourself and you make everything from music to visual effects and everything and all of a sudden you're just supposed to tell other people what to do mm-hmm. yeah. which was very new the crew was large right for a production like that so you have like 20 people running around set and you have to oh, like, yeah. dictate them all yeah and i didn't <laughs> even know what all the like yeah i didn't go to film school or anything like that so it's like when I was interviewing people for various positions, I was basically just interviewing them, asking them what their job was. Like, what does the script supervisor <laughs> actually do? So, and they had to amazing. sort of tell me, like, this is how it works. Or like, a first AD, okay, so what do you, what do, you do? And I, like, I had to ask them. Like, I, I remember when we did a, an early camera test, and that was like a smaller version of a film set, you know, with, with everything going on. And that was when I realized, like, I, like, I don't know when to say action. So I had to ask like the first AD, like, what is the sequence of the, like, when do I actually say action? Because it's like, oh, sound speed, you know, roll camera, blah, blah, blah. And he had to tell me, oh, well, it's basically when the the camera operator says set or ready or, Mm -hmm. you know, when the camera operator is right, that's when, after that you say Mm -hmm. action. So it was just a crash course in, in sort of how a film set works. What are the procedures and who does what? But then, you know, the actual movie storytelling or movie making is you know it's very similar to when you're doing your own thing it's like yeah we need an angle over here and we need this to happen it's just 
learning how the machine works you know yeah yeah it sounds daunting you were up to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, but it, it was hard like i mean that was the first time my wife had seen me crying was after like a 15 hour day things had been going wrong it was just hard i came home and it, it, it was and home was half a garage in burbank that we were renting because <laughs> the, the you mm -hmm. know rents are fucking crazy in yep. los angeles <laughs> um so we were staying like i came home to this garage and as soon as i came into the door i just broke down like i couldn't help it it was just crying because it was just like overwhelming and it was just intense yeah yeah so it, it wasn't easy <laughs> but it it turned out okay yeah i'm glad it did i think uh i think it's important for people to understand you know if you if you want to be successful you have to be outside of your comfort zone you need to Oh yeah. You know, you need to actually take initiative and get something done and you know, oftentimes it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be something that you're not familiar yeah. with, but it's it's an absolute necessity in terms of growing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm very much an introverted person, but I have sort of thanks to making movies, I uh, I've uh, developed quite a bit, but it, it's it's still like I still need my alone time to recharge and everything but now mm -hmm. i've had to do press for a movie i've had to look introduce movie you know during screenings and things like that and 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 stand in front of the whole studio and say things and it's, yeah. so it's you you better you know just adapt or it's not gonna happen you know you have to do those mm -hmm. things that really scary fascinating really sound advice i appreciate it yeah, yeah thank you no yeah yeah so i guess we're Beautiful. gonna move on to uh to the uh, first film that we all saw, a film that's fresh in theaters for everybody except, I guess, Europe <laughs> and also Australia. <laughs> New Zealand. North yeah, yeah, Australia too. Yeah, North America's got it. Uh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> uh, the Lighthouse, <laughs> uh, my favorite movie of the year. Same here. Yeah? I'm with awesome. You. <laughs> so far, I guess. I haven't seen everything. Yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah. What, did you, what did you all think of it? By the way... Um, Let's try. Let's try to make it not spoiler discussion, and then as soon as we sure. have something that we, we're, you know, we're begging to dissect about the spoilery parts, then we'll just give a warning. But for mm -hmm. now, spoiler. Yeah, I don't want to hype it too much. Like everyone's saying, it's the greatest movie ever made. I don't want to hype yeah, it up I mean. too much for people and put like these false expectations in their head. Well, because if you're expecting something, it, you're just it's not going to live up to that. Just go see the movie and enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what happened to me a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I. Oh, interesting. You know, I I didn't have a bad time. Like I thought it was good, actually. Like there because there was so much to appreciate, and I, like I think the acting was phenomenal, and like cinematography mm. and sound and attention to detail. Like I think Robert Eggers is a great director, mm -hmm. but it some it kind of felt like all those the sum of all those parts didn't quite do that much to me maybe i had mm -hmm. too much expectations because after mm -hmm. it was over it was kind of like okay yeah you know it, that's that was cool <laughs> like i kind of enjoyed <laughs> that but it's uh yeah i'm not not really sure i think i i heard everyone saying like it's such a masterpiece and it's so brilliant and it's it is in some ways i guess but it just it was strange it's very interpretive because i saw yeah. that with my wife and i saw like parasite and after parasite we were talking about you know, on on the way home, talking about everything in the movie, and 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 had this whole discussion. And after the lighthouse, it was just like, oh yeah, yeah, they were really good. <laughs> yeah, it it didn't really do much for me. I, yeah, I I'm like, not sure what I've um, what I'm 
missing or if I was just expecting the wrong thing. Well, something. I mean, different things are going to connect with different people. So it's like, you know, if something if something doesn't like grab you, then... Yeah, because I read some people who were saying, oh, it's so tense and scary. And I was like, it wasn't really. I mean, it had other qualities. Yeah, I didn't say, I wouldn't say it was scary. Yeah, no. so yeah. it's more of like a like psychological horror... You know, it's it's like it's like uh, yeah, it's almost like a theater piece in ways. You know, very the very emotions get out of you were like that of a horror movie, kind of like a Racerhead. It's like a horror movie yeah. in the same way a Racerhead's yeah. a horror movie. And I actually kind of there's a lot of similarities between the two. Mm -hmm. There's also like the a lot of like metaphorical characters, like the the mermaid in it, or I guess that's not a spoiler. She's in the trailer. But like that's that was very similar to the lady in the radiator from like a race. OK, head. yeah, it reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like a personification of a desire. Yeah, so. and it, it had the whole sort of Prometheus angle to it, which was like that last image sort of hammered yeah. home for me. But it's uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I read some more about it afterwards as well, that sort of who Willem Dafoe's character could be interpreted as. Mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't really pick up on. But, yeah, I, I've been sort of trying to get, like, oh, what am I missing here? Why am I not as excited about this as everyone else? But I, I guess it just, I don't know. It just didn't quite do it for me. It's that thing about the these kind of vague, interpretive type of films, um, like Under the Skin, where you've got to really read into it. You've got to really be interested um to kind of read it sometimes more than mm -hmm. you're actually watching it because that to yeah. me was what was going through my head after the film finished was what does that mean what like what does all of that mean and putting that together for me and how we're not really talking spoilers but you everyone has their different theories and i was talking to people after the movie and that, that to me was what really propped it up from because yeah technically I really have no criticism to, at all. I thought it was really quite vivid, like mm -hmm. in every in every way. But th that's really what makes it a great film to me, rather than just being good. Was was just how much there is to read into, and there's so many like theories and discussion, and that's what's really alluring about the film to me. And I'd love to talk about some of the theories, but if we're not going to talk spoilers right now, hold off. Yeah, we'll we'll do that in a second. Um, I think I think it's also important to recognize that like. You know, just because a film is interpretable, I, I think that some people kind of have this idea where it's the film's automatically great just because there's a lot of subtext or, mm -hmm. you know, thematic elements and that people should automatically enjoy it just based on those merits. But, you know, even though I'm a person that loves, you know, my favorite, my all-time favorite movies are like super metaphorical and in interpretable, I love those kinds of things, but... I wouldn't be as big on those films if they didn't grab me, if they didn't connect with me on a personal way, if I wasn't super impressed by like the overall presentation of of something. You know, there need there needs to be elements that specifically connect with me before I go into the interpretive part of something. And uh yeah, we might mm. as well just throw up spoiler warning uh, and talk about some of those things. Spoiler everybody, spoilers for the lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> sorry, everybody in in Europe and <laughs> not North America. Um, yeah, come back yeah. when you see it in six months. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is a, like I've I've seen it three times now because I, I well I, the first time I I'm saw it was in May at Cannes, and so I've it's not like I saw it, it three times in the past week or anything. But 
I feel like it, it, it comes together more the more times you watch it. Like, I, I loved it immediately. Otherwise, I wouldn't watch it multiple times. But there, there's so many clever setups and connections and, and parallels. Like, uh, while he's painting the side of the lighthouse, he falls over. And then he's on his back and he's got those, like, white splotches of paint. And then that's, like, a perfect visual parallel to the end shot of the film where he's got, like, seagull shit on him. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's, it's like, oh, this perfect yeah. Yeah, little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say parallel for lack of a better term right now. That works. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what you, mean. you know, there's, there's this idea, like, I know it doesn't reveal it until pretty far through the movie that Ephraim Winslow is actually, I forget what his real name is, but the two characters have the same name and the film, although not like super obviously is really kind of, uh, I guess trying to, to play with the idea that these might be the same person. Yeah. Yeah. I got that sense too. I saw it as sort of like a purgatory, like the island yeah. necessarily might not even exist. Like it is just a going in depth into someone's mind and how they can torture themselves for their past acts or yes, you know yeah. anything along those kind of lines. Like a self-imposed exile, almost. Yeah, yeah that's that was more my how initial I took interpretation. It. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially because he's feeling guilt because he killed. Or did he kill? Or just found uh, like, I think he the did kill him. Of, well, he let he him did. die, kind of right. Yeah. Well, that's die. that's what yeah, he said yeah. in his explanation uh, while he was kind of sp- spilling the beans or whatever. But there's there's <laughs> like there's like visual clues to suggest that it was more than what he'd he'd said vocally. You know, you, they they don't say that they're flashback sequences until you kind of have to realize it by the time that he that he says the events but like there's there's these like quick shots of him like sneaking up behind the guy and i think it's implied that that it was more of a a murder even though he didn't really fully admit to it yeah Mm -hmm. there's the line where he says you know after after i saw him die all all i could think was that i wanted a smoke and then the moment after he kills willem dafoe with an axe the first thing he does is light up a cigarette and I love that mm-hmm. little, that little subtle yeah, kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's so there's so many good like tie-ins and uh, is that the right term? Tie-ins. So many there's so many good little <laughs> extra details to this film that I really love. I love the passage of time in it. I got oh, kind yeah. of like a Synecdoche, New York vibe from it, where every shot could have been like a week, like every cut. Mm-hmm. I got that vibe, like especially in that opening shot when they were looking at that boat, like go away. I got the sense that they were like a week had gone by in between. It's very chaotic. <laughs> that yeah. shot. Yeah, I do. It really makes you feel like you're going insane and puts you in the mind of Robert Pattinson's character. And, you know, that's what's so effective about it. It's like a really visceral experience above all this other stuff we're talking about. I love the like destruction of the environment too. I like it 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 becomes yeah. so insane when <laughs> you know the storm destroys everything and there's everything's flooded, there's like water dripping from the <laughs> ceiling everywhere and it's just it adds yeah. to yeah. the to the overall uh, atmosphere so much. I I love that. It must have been miserable to shoot. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. thinking about like <laughs> they shot uh, they shot a lot of it in uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, and they they built like the lighthouse for the exterior shots. They built like a this big structure, and then for wow. the interior shots, they actually wound up doing that in a a set somewhere else. 
so that they could have more freedom with the uh, camera. Yeah. And there's lots of water and all that stuff. You don't want to be doing that like yeah. <laughs> out in the open. I mean, but like even there's certain shots where like Willem Dafoe is legit getting buried alive <laughs> as he's delivering his lines. Yeah. You know? That was incredible. Yeah. Great, man. Man. Yeah. yeah. They're they're really yeah, giving I mean, it their Dafoe all. It's like he really should get like an Oscar I or something. I totally for this, think so. It's amazing. He was incredible. Consideration. Yeah. yeah. I would I would say that this is probably my favorite performance of his. It was yeah. insane. Robert Pattinson was also great, but I mean Willem Dafoe kind of steals the show, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You really have to concentrate <laughs> to hear what he's saying, though. That was yeah. the thing. Where it's just like you had to really yeah, okay. pay attention. I yeah, but... agree with you, and I was lucky enough that the first time I saw it was at Cannes, where they had both French and English subtitles underneath the film. So I, you know, that that was beneficial to my experience was having the subtitles right there, and then the two other times I saw it, I already knew everything that was happening and it you know it became easier to interpret but you know mm-hmm. robert robert edgers uh eggers Egg- i forget how to pronounce his name e- eggers <laughs> uh he Ego. robert eggers Ego. yeah <laughs> lego my egos <laughs> lego my eggers <laughs> uh he he loves to do this whole like dialect kind of study with his films uh-huh. yeah i i actually got to have a quick chat with him at, at tiff and, he, and I asked him, like, oh, are you just going to continue along this line of, you know, extremely strange uh, kind of like period piece dialect movies? He's like, yeah, I love it. So uh, <laughs> we might be seeing another one of those. Because I, I remember that being like a criticism of The Witch that people couldn't really understand everything that was being said. Because it's so unfamiliar. That's one of my you know? favorite aspects That's what made of the film. Get film. It. They feel so authentic. <laughs> yeah. Everyone talks like, even if you don't understand what they're saying sometimes. Yeah, but and you really feel that he's done his homework. Like he, yeah. <laughs> like oh, he, yeah. Is, really it, it just Absolutely. feels authentic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like insanely. Well, if you just talk to like well 21st century people, yeah, I feel like it, annoying and distracting. So. Yeah, there's tiny little details like that where, you know, even in even if there's a lot of movies where those aren't really put into consideration, as soon as you have someone that does include that in their films and does put in that extra effort, it really shows, you know, it really exemplifies it and makes it stand out. Yeah. It could be one of those movies that I have to just see again because... Like, I remember when I was young and saw, like, Clockwork Orange the first time, and I didn't like it. And then I saw it again and again and again, and then now it's, like, one of my favorites, you know. So, yeah. I'll, I'm going to have to give this another chance, I think. But, yeah, there's a few movies like yeah. that, honestly. We'll see if it, like, sticks with you. There's yeah, some exactly. movies that stick with me for, like, a year, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch that again. Yeah, just it's, like, it's like beckoning. It was like Enter the Void. I had that. It's, like, creeping into your mind. You know, there's something that's stuck mm-hmm. there. It's like, oh, well, I should probably revisit that. Yeah, that's how you know the movie's special. To me, I mean, like, even after the first time I saw it, like, what really makes it a great film for me, like, a great experience for me, is that there's so much about it that I can just visually recreate in my mind, and audio-wise, too. Like, the the overall sensory experience of the film was just so unique and... It's very memorable. Yeah, it's it's it it works. It not only works so well, but it's like it's it it offers something that I don't get from watching another movie. And so even even just like editing choices, like that hard cut to the two of them with the dancing. Those, or the, yeah. yeah, the two of them dancing, or like the uh, as as they lean their heads back and they're chugging in, like the entire bottle of of booze, <laughs> and it gets into this whole like kind of crazy high energy 
montage that feels so, you know, sinister at the same time and somehow comedic. It's like it, just just these the overall feel of the film is just something that really sticks with me, and I love it so much. Yeah, the the levity for me in particular um, stood out, especially coming off of his previous movie, The Witch, which. Which, which I haven't the seen bitch. for a while, but I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, there being really any levity in the same way there is in this movie, and it really adds to the sort of personality and makes the characters way more likable. And the contrast of when it does get really kind of dark and overbearing, in contrast with the humor, really, really adds something to the movie that I think was not quite there in the witch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it makes me want to revisit the witch. Because when I first watched The Witch, I was like, you know what? Yeah. There's clearly a lot of talent here, but it didn't connect with me as much. Who knows? I might, you know, mm -hmm. I might not feel no, any differently about it. But the lighthouse. And, yeah. On that same note, though, so many farts in the movie. Yeah. Like, that was really <laughs> was crazy to, to me. <laughs> like, is this the like the the most farts uh, <laughs> in a movie this good? Like, what's the what's the next movie that has <laughs> loads of farts in it and fart jokes that is <laughs> as good as this? Mm. <laughs> I have to think about that one. I can't think of any. How many how many farts are there? In, uh, every time you farted in, in the Madagascar <laughs> films, Alex. Do you have a fart count for those <laughs> movies? Madagascar movies? Do you, do you have it all figured out? Do you have <laughs> do, you, do you have it cataloged? Oh yeah. <laughs> but that that begs the question though: Why this movie in terms of the appeal? Like. It, it's almost unanimous in terms of just the way people are talking about the movie. Um, this isn't like a, like an Under the Skin, where everyone doesn't just know about it. People just seem to know about this movie. Mm -hmm. We mentioned it on a previous episode about it's on the front page of Reddit. People are talking about the movie. Yeah. Is it just the star power that's involved? I, I really don't know. Probably helps with the star power. Yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little, uh, a little difficult to know what will what will sell but i mean the yeah. initial trailer got posted and everybody was seemed hyped already so yeah which is nice to see because there's like a black and white square oh yeah, movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. they just connected with a like... good film that's not based on anything and it's just like yeah it's like this really original groundbreaking in some ways movie yeah mm -hmm. i i think that it's really important to to support these types of kind of like atypical out there movies because the more success yeah. that those films have the easier it is for those ideas to get funded mm -hmm. not that they all have to be black and white well yeah exactly yeah you don't, like this. you don't want everybody creating something that's trying to be the lighthouse obviously so. right you don't want yeah. to try to be the lighthouse. let these people express themselves and make something really original and then mm -hmm. go see it yeah a24 <laughs> is doing a pretty good and job you'll with get that. more movies like the lighthouse yeah absolutely they have they've made like three of my favorite movies this year a climax. They mostly buy movies, right? Like the yeah. already oh, made yeah. movies. Or? I think they distribute mostly. Yeah, yeah but they also they, do. Like, they also fund. Midsummer. Yeah, they they produce yeah. films too. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not it just distribution, but they yeah in the films that they that they wind up funding, they seem to give a lot of creative control to the to the director, which is really nice and refreshing to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, thoughts on the lighthouse? I mean, I. What do we think the light is? Oh man, but that's almost like the wrong question. But I mean, I can give my interpretation. Yeah, if you but want. it's like, it's the thing everyone's talking about, though, isn't it? What is the What's light? in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like it almost doesn't matter. But 
Well, yeah. I mean, like he there. There's a line where Willem Dafoe says, you know, within the light there is salvation, and if we're going to interpret the film in a way where it is this kind of like singular character dealing with his own past and the mistakes that he's like made, internal conflict, yeah, yeah, internal conflict, two halves of of a person you know, essentially arguing with each other and they can only tolerate themselves when they're drunk sort of thing. If we're going to interpret it in that way, mm -hmm. then perhaps the light is this sort of end idea of acceptance or what's what's the right word here, man? I'm struggling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolution or like, yeah, the sure. What's the, yeah. Cause I mean, like he, he also dies immediately after, you know, it's like this idea of like, almost like justice for for the sins that he's committed if you want to say that mm -hmm. yeah that's why i took away from it too yeah and he gets his liver picked out by bird yum or picked out by bird <laughs> <laughs> yummy <laughs> just like prometheus well the one last thing i'll mention is the <laughs> great shot where robert pattinson just snaps and just and then he snaps the seagull that's been like oh man him. oh God, it's such yeah. a shocking moment and then it's so well edited and the the visual effects in that scene are very good as well yeah and so yeah. just like everyone like in the in the theater kind of like lifted up a little bit after that yeah and just, just the keeps flow going. of the movie he like beats it for like 30 seconds it's brutal yeah. yeah it doesn't feel like it slows down at all and which is a crazy thing to say about a movie where there's so many monologues of just them talking but yeah. it, it always feels like the the tensions being raised with each new scene like everything's mm -hmm. kind of Good getting more chaotic yeah. and and falling apart i think the flow of the film is just fantastic yeah love it love it very much and i give it a uh I give it a 10 out of 10 which is not something i do <laughs> wow. often but i love it well yeah. i do this more often but five out of five <laughs> Great movie. Yeah, I'm with you guys. So I give it a, a five out of five. Great bottom movie. Loads to explore. Awesome stuff. What was the last film that we've all unanimously given 100% ratings? Shazam. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you, uh, do, would you want to assign a number, David, or do you not do that kind of thing? It's fine if you don't. It's just something we do. I don't usually, but yeah. I mean, going by your scale, six out of ten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the meme answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was as fantastic as, as most people seem to. So I, I probably have to revisit mm -hmm. it and see. Yeah. yeah there's, plen there's plenty cool. of people that feel that way, and they'll consider you to be a breath of fresh air. Because it seems like everybody's <laughs> yeah. going, yeah, going crazy over this movie. It's so. good you were here because it would just be a total circle jerk. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's what people want to hear, though. Sometimes they're mad when it's not yeah, a yeah, circle sometimes. jerk, depending on the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. it's nice Usually, to... it's the opposite. Usually, we're just <laughs> bickering, like uh, bickering. All right, <laughs> um, I guess it's time to move into the uh, other movie that we're talking about. I know this is a pretty, uh, pretty dense episode. The film recommendation, Halloween kind of movie, I guess, a horror movie, was Thirst from the director of the original Old Boy, the awesome Old Boy, and The Handmaiden, <laughs> Park Chan-wook. It is a vampire movie, but it has a kind of a different take on vampires. From what I can tell, none of the characters had fangs. There is more of like kind of a uh, disease kind of element to what's going on 
they you can see the reflection. Yeah, they can see the reflection. Uh, That's true. Is garlic like a part of? Oh no, yeah. There was no like garlic. <laughs> no there was garlic no wooden no wooden steak or whatever. Crosses. Yeah. Spoiler warning for Thirst, 2009 film. What did you guys think? I liked it. I, I thought I really appreciated the sort of different take on the vampire movie, and that it, it felt sort mm-hmm. of more gro- grounded, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or that, that yeah, that the whole part of like yeah, if he didn't drink blood, he would, you know, he, he would get that skin disease thing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. yeah no I, I thought it was really good i thought it was a little long perhaps which is why you. i'd be curious to see what what the non-director's cut is like i don't know how much it's it's really not it, that big of a yeah, difference, difference i don't think it's like 13 minutes or something i mean there's a lot going on in the movie yeah it's very plot heavy yeah it was cool how they modernized like the the vision of the vampire that has kind of become cliche and he made it into something, you know, very different and more grounded in science. But also the movie's mostly a comedy or has like a like a goofier, oh, yeah. lighter tone. And it, it contrasted with the more horrific scenes, which are fewer than I think the comedy scenes. <laughs> but like it really worked. I thought the blending of comedy and horror was kind of perfect. And I was not expecting any anything funny. That's mm-hmm. something I find interesting with Korean movies yeah, in general is that they're not afraid to put in like very eccentric, comedic yeah. element yeah. that are sometimes quite goofy and they can put it into serious things. And it yeah, it works a lot. Of the yeah, time. Bong Joon-ho is mm-hmm. great with that too. A lot of South Korean cinema is like this blend of of serious but also kind of goofy and i love how many south korean movies are able to take those different elements and put them together in the same film in a way where one doesn't detract from the other because you know if you're if you're going to add comedic elements to something if those don't work properly you know it might just wind up hurting the film or it might make people take the more serious elements less seriously too yeah, it almost reminded me of Shaolin soccer at points. Oh, yeah. Like when they're hurling the body and all these like crazy moments or jumping around and flying around. Like it, it really is goofy at points. And sometimes it does go a little bit too far for, for me. Mm-hmm. But um, no, you're right. It, it, it does balance the kind of eccentric but weirdly grounded premise of this interpretation of vampires really well for the most part. What parts do you think went too far? Um the the scene where they're sort of jumping around on rooftops i, I oh, think yeah. it was mostly because of the visual it, it just looked kind of aged to me yeah the visual effects um yeah. for 2009 it was pretty good i mean yeah it wasn't it was strange because it wasn't it wasn't bad particularly but it, it was kind of distracting to me yeah especially when the film was already quite long yeah exactly yeah because yeah. the film like, was they already just quite long not had it and it would have been not yeah, and it would have added to the kind of grounded thing that they were doing exactly. already kind of like that though it felt kind of beautiful of them sort yeah. of flying around like that i think it was more about like the characters at that point too mm-hmm. you know like it was kind of like a, a set piece so that their relationship could be explored and developed i really like the music during well, those yeah. scenes and oh yeah the score is very good it's a classic sort of superhero-y moment you know oh yeah these these characters have abilities and they're using them in some way and i i like that side of it yeah grab the girl and fly around on rooftops mm-hmm. sort of thing <laughs> It is kind of like almost a trope. What I really appreciate about this movie is kind of how from the get-go, like the initial concept, you're taking a character who, you know, has dedicated his life to religion, apparently never even kissed a woman before. And now through this Mm -hmm. 
like transformation, not only physical, like he goes through an entire character transformation because of this. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm a monster, you know, like I'm, I'm forever in this life of sin now and winds up doing a lot of things that Hmm. he never would have in the first place while still retaining that idea of like, okay, I don't want to try to kill people. I don't want to kill people unless I have to sort of thing. Yeah. He has a morality. Right. And I always understood him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was nice to have a character where you actually understood their thought process. Like when he become when he first realizes that he needs to like consume blood to live. Yeah, he jumps out a window. I love that scene. immediately. And yeah, that was like a very yeah. like likable like oh he's he's not going to do this. He knows this is wrong. And then it becomes like a comedy moment after. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> but it was like nice to have that. The way his head stuck with the in the thought, windshield. Speaking of thought processes the the scene towards the end there when he goes to that camp and he mm-hmm. like it appears like he's about to rape a girl or something was that yeah. sort of just to get them not to see him as sort of the savior or something? i think like so that's how i interpret that he was a monster mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah there's a there's a lot going on in this movie <laughs> you know it's it's really packed and trying to do a lot of things at once but i think that you know especially yeah af- after a multiple viewings it's a lot easier to kind of get what each sort of element is uh, kind of going for. There's some things that feel Mm -hmm. like they probably could have been cut out or like maybe a little out of place, but overall nothing like too, too huge in terms of like affecting my experience for the movie. I guess my biggest criticism with the movie would be just how um, the difference between the vampirism and the Emmanuel virus or whatever, because... It seems Mm. like it's kind of different things. Like he got, he didn't become a vampire because he got the the virus. He got it because he got a blood transfusion. Is like the the lesions on his face, is that more to do with the Emmanuel virus or the vampirism? Either way, it kind of cures (laughs) him when he drinks blood. Oh yeah, Mm. I wish that I wish that that was developed just a little bit more. Because even if, even as someone who has watched this movie probably four times over the past. 10 years or so. Uh, I guess it came out in 2009, so exactly 10 years. Even as someone who's watched it a few times, there are some aspects where it's like a little difficult to understand the like ins and outs of how everything works. But still, I mean, as, a, as an opportunity for all of the scenes that follow, it's really not as important, I guess. Yeah, I kind of took it as like him being a vampire, he was sort of uh, invincible or like he had this healing power but, and you know the less he was a vampire then this virus came back that's sort of how i saw it so like if he drinks blood and he you know charges up his healing powers then that will go away mm-hmm. so it's like he's not necessary i i want it's i kind of wanted to know <laughs> what would happen if he didn't have the emmanuel virus like right. if he stopped drinking blood would he just like slowly starve to death or become more human yeah, yeah. i'm not really sure exactly how that would have worked but that's sort of what i thought was implied anyway i just assumed that if he stopped drinking blood that would just be the end of him that was sort of the the urgency mm-hmm. to to fuel things forward for me anyway mm-hmm. how did you guys feel about uh, i know i know that this director in quite a few of his movies um there are some scenes that some people could theoretically interpret as being a little overly pornographic in this and old boy and the handmaiden but i guess you know growing up and seeing this movie more i've kind of come to realize that there's always kind of a uh, kind of liberating 
element towards the the sexuality in his films like the the character mm. literally like has you know never kissed a woman and an old boy the guy hasn't had a relationship for 15 years or even seen another human being in the handmaiden you know it's a completely forbidden kind of relationship and so you know with that context i f- i feel like it's uh, it's justified <laughs> to have something that kind of goes a little oh, yeah. A little further, a little longer, you know, and uh well, and vampires. They're, they're quite a sexual creature. Especially really they're quite as intimate. Late, yeah. The the way they feed. Yeah, and they kind of yeah, the way they trick people to to get them in a secluded place to like it's all very, you know, intimate and sexual in that kind of way. So that mm-hmm. that didn't bug me at all in this Yeah, movie. the sexual element worked, definitely. And it's part of the themes of the movie too, mm-hmm. is that like mm-hmm. he wants he wants to have sex, he wants to be in a relationship with someone. And so he gets into this kind of abusive almost relationship with this girl (laughs) who at first is, you know, you feel bad for her because she has a really bad life. But then once she is rid of that, she she becomes like this power hungry monster and starts killing people and he can't control her. And I enjoyed like more the metaphor of that, of watching a relationship kind of spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. From the moment she's introduced, like she... She obviously has so much character, and she obviously is out of place in terms of, you know, her and the rest of the people that she lives with. Um, her husband with the buggers. <laughs> oh, yeah, the the Mr. <laughs> Constant Runny Nose Man. Yeah, who's played for, like, gross-out horror, too. Like, there's dream sequences where oh, he yeah. comes out and tries to, like, attack them. <laughs> but it's, like, actually horrifying, because you're like, oh. It's all psychological, just remember yeah, that. very... Yeah, for me just that <laughs> smiley face oh, when yeah, <laughs> right. coming back yeah there's mm-hmm. so many really good funny moments i feel like it turns into more of a uh, true horror film as soon as the female lead starts <laughs> starts going crazy and and killing everybody because the, every <laughs> everything before that point it's really like restrained it's more about the character you know it's more about yeah. you know his his journey into this this new transformation but then after that point all hell breaks loose and there's there's somebody in the story that now has these powers that doesn't care if they kill people that's going to be a complete psycho Mm -hmm. and then everything just spirals out of control i like how it builds up in that way Yeah. yeah to me the scariest scene in the movie was towards the end with the um the sort of disabled alcoholic woman who's like communicating and there's like a really fun dynamic that builds and then it go it really just jumps into the the scares with the the more like running away from the the vampire characters and the just the way it's executed was quite intense mm-hmm. just because of the the performances they were really like they really seemed terrified and i really <laughs> yeah. bought that they really feared for their life <laughs> And it was just, yeah. that, that was a great sequence, I thought. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah, I love that. Sort of her revealing that they had killed him yeah. by just her eyes or like scratching with her finger. And the little finger, like, yeah. yeah. And like the mahjong ma- pieces and just yeah. that, that dialogue we get from the uh, the guy whose uh, wife or girlfriend is still learning Korean. And he's like, no, yeah, I've become, I've become pretty great at reading what people are thinking through their eyes. You know, if somebody looks at something for four seconds everyone else will look sort of thing just like this kind of almost borderline <laughs> fourth wall breaking uh, uh idea of like okay this is where it's going like this is you're seeing it build up and you kind of know where it's going and it's still so so fun to watch 
but it's, it's, like, it's exhilarating. It's so you much. You still fun. want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of strange dialogue like that, which I usually just pin down to the sort of cultural difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they use language across the pond is always fairly different, and you have to take that into account. It, it was the most. It was most glaring to me though in. Um, one of the sex scenes that had like almost like hentai like dialogue. Oh yeah, if you remember. That give was, give us yeah. an example here. Hentai dialogue. Yeah, give us an example, <laughs> Alex. Uh, <laughs> do, do, do your I best impression. Down. Get the voice down. But it's the. <laughs> Can you say it in Korean too? I, let me find it. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Yeah, when they were when they were going at it next to that coma patient. <laughs> Um, she said stuff like, am I a pervert? Is it supposed to feel this good? <laughs> that kind of thing. It's just like, what? I just prefer if you just didn't say anything right now. <laughs> yeah, I can get that. Who knows how much of that was like manipulation? Who knows how much of that was genuine? As well, we yeah, see her yeah. character becoming yeah. revealed as someone who's, I mean, obviously not all that together, but really kind of evil too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't hold it too much against it. It's just, you know, cultural differences and all that. I yeah. love that they have the uh, fat, comatose patient that he can just <laughs> keep getting blood yeah. from. <laughs> and that line in the movie where he justifies it and he's he's like, he always wanted to give food to the needy. You should have heard his story about the sponge cake. <laughs> like that tiny little setup at the beginning. Lots of clever setups. There's yeah. like the mm-hmm. his blind friend who says that he wants to you know, see the sun rise over the ocean before he dies, and then at the end of the film, that's what winds up happening to to the two main yeah, with characters. Yeah, the thing as well. Yeah. yeah, so many great little details, and you know, not not everything about the movie works one hundred percent, but there's just so much going into it. I love his directing style. You know, it's very clean. Yeah, yeah the cinematography distinct. was very like complex, especially during like when they were talking at the table. Oh during yeah, certain scenes, the camera would be yeah, sweeping around like yeah. tons of people go like through the table. I'm like, how did they really move the adds table to the tension? It does. Yeah, that, that it's, was it's quite really unique well as well. That it's yeah, sort of wonders, but it sort of goes to all these different setups. Yeah, and they're so well executed, and the camera feels like it's like this floating omniscient. Uh, what's the word? Omniscient. Omnipotent. <laughs> omniscient force mm-hmm. yeah it just feels like yeah, it's yeah. just floating there and you're like oh have you guys seen um the handmaiden yes, yes. i have yeah i've oh, actually never right. seen old boy i've got like a <laughs> two hour long review <laughs> uh but yeah definitely watch the original holy crap it's one of the most accessible korean films ever it's one that you can show to people that don't watch foreign language films. They'd be like, you know what? Maybe there's yeah. something I'm missing here. You know, maybe I don't need to just only watch movies in English. Even more so than Parasite, because that felt very. Ooh, original. yeah, that one's the that one's a new one. I could see Parasite getting like a Best Picture nom. It's like people are going crazy yeah. over it. Everybody loves Parasite. Really? That makes me so frustrated. I can't see it till next year. Ah, <laughs> what's the point? Mm. Move. I've seen it this week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's great. South Korea has really exploded in terms of their their film industry internationally. Yeah, a lot mm. of talented filmmakers there. Yeah, lot lots of great yeah. voices that you're not going to find. Uh, lots of great experiences that you're not going to find watching you know any other mm-hmm. kind of movie. It's a very unique mm-hmm. kind of thing. There's yeah. a certain energy 
yeah, you can see a lot of similarities between different directors. Just this South Korean feel that I really love. And you'll see this guy pop up in every movie. <laughs> like he feels like he's yeah. in half of yeah. Korean movies. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar faces in a bunch of different Korean movies. But, you know, I, <laughs> if, if they've got like a pool of talent that you know is really great. I don't know what their population is, honestly. So that might be a factor. But Yeah, I couldn't tell you. What were your like favorite scenes in the movie? The end. Yeah. Where, as as <laughs> that, that transpires, that sounds like you were where... glad when it was over. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just my English. It's just yeah, my English yeah. accent makes me sound like I'm just always miserable. But, <laughs> yeah, the, the the scene at the end where they drive out into the to the sea sort of front. Yeah, and it was funny how she was trying to get away from the sun. Exactly. The whole time. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And as you sort of understand and figure out what's happening. And how he's just foiling every attempt she has to try and stay alive. There's something, there's something comedic, but also kind of dark about that. Because of course everyone has that fear. It's two. It's one character who's accepted his fate, and one that is just refusing to accept theirs, mm -hmm. which is really interesting to watch. Um, yeah, and is yeah, really dark. Yeah, I really like the the previously mentioned um, reveal scene when they find out that they're the killers. Mm. Um, and I kind of like them, you know, jumping on the roofs as well because I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like I like that yeah, sequence. The same too. same thing. Yeah, the the room, the when they're eating and the they're revealed to be the killers. Yeah, it's so intense. It's such a such a great <laughs> yeah, so great build up. Sequence, yeah, yeah. Very uh very satisfying payoffs in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that the uh like there's this kind of idea, especially with the main character being like a religious man. <laughs> uh, there's this idea of being born again through this whole vampirism mm -hmm. thing. And, you know, it's it's mirrored when, I guess, he infects her with the uh, vampire blood. And we get that line where he says, happy birthday, where that there's that, like, subtle mm -hmm. little uh, yeah. setup where it's like, oh, I've never had a birthday, just so we can get that line. But it also kind of connects into the, the greater ideas of, of what the film is trying to go for. He sees himself as, like, a new person. He says, "Don't call me father." When yeah. she calls him father, mm. yeah. call me daddy. No, that reviving scene was very good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, he sort of kills her and then brings her and back, brings and there's that in front of her mother. Yeah, yeah, but there's yeah. that really interesting shot where they're kind of it's very close, and they have their sort of arms held in a certain way, and there's that weird symbiotic like blood drinking thing going on, which is oh, quite yeah creepy and disturbing so imagery. many disturbing very memorable mm. parts of this movie yeah, lots like of hanging good the sucking the sounds the, yeah. all the like disgusting blood sounds <laughs> it <was> perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I love them playing the flute in the beginning oh yeah the, the blood oh the blood yeah 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 that's great oh yeah just one more thing I just the, the there's certain like really morbid elements in this movie like when when uh, they're having this argument and She's like, oh, what What are you going to do? Just, you know, keep finding uh, comatose patients to get blood from? He's like, well, I mean, I'm just going to, you know, if it comes down to it, there's people that want to kill themselves that can come to me in confessional. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can help up. them kill themselves. And if I run out of those, then I'll just go on the Internet and find, <laughs> like, holy crap. It's a, yeah, because it's a good person desperately trying to justify yeah this need they have because he has no choice he has to do it and that's like the only way he could like compartmentalize what he had to do yeah i think that's pretty much all we have to say about it right 
I guess so. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Very yeah, good, really film. good movie. Good for Halloween. Yeah. Um, to like, I, I didn't get as many like of the horror elements mm-hmm. I wanted out of it. I wasn't really scared or horrified as much as I was just entertained. But it's still a very good movie, and it's very yeah, original maybe. and technically well made. You know, guy's a great director. I'll give it yeah. a four out of five for now. I'd like to see it again. And I'm glad yeah, I saw no. the director's cut too, because uh, though from what I what I know about his style, it's very specific. Like he storyboards everything and like in order, so it's nice to see everything kind of together in that way and not trimmed up and rearranged. Because apparently he does not like the other cut of this movie as much. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because of that. Because the look of his movies is so specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even you can see, like, scene transitions are very well done. Yeah. Like, yeah. it would go from, like, a source of light to, very like, a purposeful. candle or something. <laughs> like, I, I can't... Yeah, exactly. Very coordinated. Purposeful. And that's kind yeah. of removed in the other cut. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I'll he did Stoker, <laughs> too, right? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Because that has one of my favorite, like, transitions, like, when combing um, the, the, her hair and it turns into, like, grass or something. Like, it's... Mm. beautiful mm. yeah well i'm with you ralph uh same score four stars out of five um this will sit next to let the right one in in terms of uh interesting takes on sort of vampire mm-hmm. like modern sort of takes on it that are, yeah yeah really interesting and unique yeah creative i give it a nine out of ten i love it uh love the style love the energy it's just one of those movies that you know, I'm not going to watch it every every week, but I'll be watching it every few years for sure. You know, it's a good it's a good one to introduce to other people. It's a good October movie for sure. David? Um, yeah, uh score, I don't know, uh, 8. You don't have to. <laughs> you just have like maybe. Five, 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 <laughs> it was it it for a show. <laughs> it was yeah. yeah, recommended. 6 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess it's uh, I guess it's question time. Yeah, questions. let's go into the questions then. All right. Before we move on to the questions, though, uh, if you want to leave your own for the next episode of Sardonicast, head over to the Sardonicast Reddit, where there will be a thread that Ralph will pin, and you can ask us whatever you like. Today we're going to start off with one from Donko Eight, and this is very this is for uh, David specifically for Mister Samberg. How much influence did you draw from Kung Fu Panda 2 in the development of Shazam? Uh, I've never seen Kung Fu Panda 2. I think oh, I saw the first one me. when it came out. <laughs> what's the thing there? What's the... Well, yeah. <laughs> he has some explaining <laughs> what, what kind of fan base? So, this is like oh, a yeah, weird uh, somebody else in joke asked thing this I question. noticed. Was, yeah, everyone on, everyone on the subreddit has been asking this question on repeat because... <laughs> I have this weird obsession with Kung Fu Panda 2. I think it's awesome. And (laughs) just completely circumstantially, (laughs) there are loads of weird, uh, like, thematic uh, similarities between Shazam and Kung Fu Panda 2. So I was really (laughs) curious if if I'm just insane or you actually had seen the movie. uh... I haven't. Maybe Henry Henry Gaiden, the the writer of the... Film, oh. maybe he has. I don't know. So, <laughs> now I'm, I'm, now I'm curious no... about Kung Fu Panda too. <laughs> so what? What's the just thematic, or uh, he doesn't turn into um, an older the the main character has a very similar arc, and there okay. are little details that are um, and there's sort of an ensemble cast that comes together at the end for like a kind of fight scene, and there's even <laughs> like a joke right but right before uh, the like a fight of the uh, protagonist and antagonist, uh, where the joke is 
is the same joke. So it's like, is that like a callback? Is that, or is that just circumstantial? Which it must be. <laughs> I had to ask it. I had you. you really is that the one where uh, uh, someone was saying about a joke where the, he can't hear the bad guy or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that, that from exactly. that one? Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. No, yeah. That you that joke it. actually came about when I was showing Henry some animatics we'd we'd made we'd made, and I like I'd put the two of them like sort of far apart in a city. Mm. That's what sort of gave him the idea of like, oh, like would he even be able to hear him <laughs> that far away? Yeah, so yeah. it was a, funny. It was actually not yeah. in the script. It was something that came up after he saw the animatic oh, wow. about yeah, where yeah. we placed the characters. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know if he. I have to ask him if he's he's seen it and I'm, now i have to watch it <laughs> follow-up question i guess it's kind of similar um do you agree with uh i know a lot of people including myself have drawn similarities between shazam and uh the raimi spider-man films in terms of i guess tone uh do you mm, agree with those yeah. comparisons yeah i mean I, I i that was an influence you know awesome. like i love raimi's spider-man movies and like his his tone and his you know feel and you know he has that mm -hmm. sort of horror-ish scene with the uh, dr octopus mm -hmm. and yeah no, great yeah. scene yeah awesome. i love those movies yeah okay let's go into one we can actually all answer then um just n1k asks a halloween horror related one what is the creepiest performance from an actor that you have ever seen in a film Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. That's what comes to me. I know it's like an obvious one, but yeah, he yeah. really is like fantastic in that. So much so that he's like in that movie for 10 minutes and he got like a sequel. I think that's based that's on the book answer. too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> the uh, first one that comes to mind for me is uh, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men as Anton Chigurh. Great choice. Oh, Very creepy performance. Yeah. So much behind that character. Very unpredictable very like unstable very creepy i've got an unintentional one um from a film i saw recently <laughs> uh welcome to marwin i watched with steve carell <laughs> okay <laughs> really creepy oh, performance like unintentionally <laughs> you have to check that out <laughs> but my actual answer is the the kid from hereditary um oh yeah something oh. about that really yeah really gets under my skin with the like i can't do that noise yeah that's the one <laughs> yeah that 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 to me is creepy as hell. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, those are all very good answers. I mean, I, I'd probably have to go with Anton Chigger, uh, just because yeah, he's so unpredictable and like he feels just really scared. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be a completely different movie without the character and the performance. Yeah, and I mean, those parts I can watch over and over again. You know, oh like yeah, the gas station scene where it's like. The coin flip, oh, coin yeah. toss thing. Call it. Yeah. Very well performed. That's a good answer because it's not even a, you wouldn't even think of it normally as a horror movie necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, I guess but not. But it's like a horrific kind of character and performance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, apologies for this name in advance, but this is Reddit usernames we're talking <laughs> about. PP067834 asks us this that's as bad as i was expecting how do you feel about actors who are difficult <laughs> how do you feel about actors who are difficult to work with should they be allowed to call the shots in some way or is filmmaking a collaborative process and they are disrupting what should be a well-oiled machine on that notion how is it okay for directors to har harass actors i.e hitchcock or kubrick but it's not okay for actors to be jerks to directors slash co-stars jared leto or christine well, the Bale, truth is sure. that the actor is kind of 
in charge. You don't want them to know that. But, but the thing is, like, if an actor refuses to do something or say something, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Like, you just have to yeah. work around it because, like, you can't force someone to say anything. So, they have a lot of power. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's okay for, for directors to be assholes to actors either. I think, you know, ideally you would all <laughs> get along. Um, yeah, you want to be professional. That's not the case, of course, but uh, always. But uh, You just reminded yeah. me of... Uh... There's a there's a couple uh, there's a couple instances where the actors essentially overrode what the final cut of the film would be by intentionally giving bad performances in in the variations that they didn't want. <laughs> so I think in the original Star Trek it, it might have been William Shatner, um, and there was supposed to be a uh, a kiss between him and someone who wasn't of his race, which was like controversial at the time, and mm. so they intentionally mm. did terrible takes for the variation of, oh yeah, you're not going to give her a kiss sort of thing, just to ensure that it would be in the final product. And then there's also like Sandra Oh uh, in Hard Candy, apparently uh, in in this variation that they shot that she didn't really like, she just intentionally did it with a Texan accent, (laughs) just so it would be unusable. (laughs) Like, no, yeah, I want, this this is how I want the character to be. There's also the famous Wesley Snipes in Blade 3 refusing mm-hmm. to open his eyes, and they <laughs> had to comp eyes opening on top of his face. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I didn't yeah. know that. I had no idea. What about like Harrison Ford, Blade Runner narration? Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, it's interesting, actually. I actually met the guy who does a lot of Vin Diesel's ADR lines, because mm-hmm. apparently you have these guys who can sound like these famous people because there's their pa- schedules are so packed so they might not be able to come in and do adr like you know re-record uh, dialogue and things like that mm-hmm. so you have these other people like this white guy come in and do like vin diesel voices and things like that mm-hmm. and it's like it, that's in the movie and like we just think we're hearing those actors but we're not you know interesting yeah. like the end the the second half of uh be prepared was sung by jim cummings and not jeremy irons so, oh, really depends oh, on. Really? Uh, yeah, That's the second half of it, he blew out his voice, and the uh, "you won't get a sniff without me" line, <laughs> and then the rest of it is just Jim Cummings. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to rewatch that now. Yeah, I mean, you can you can't even tell. It just it's like the character, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess back That's on really cool. topic to the to the question, it really depends on. The project, I guess, it really depends on the relationship between the director and actor. Because there's some people that you know will want to work together very closely and and collaborate with the same unified idea, like Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day Lewis, really, you know, trying to explore the character and there will be blood. But there's other mm-hmm. instances where you know it can obviously be beneficial to have different ideas. I guess. I guess that would still count as collaboration because at the end of the day, you need to kind of yeah. agree on something. Yeah, but I mean, you have like Kinski and Herzog, you know, doing things together oh, yeah. and just nothing but <laughs> fights and arguments <laughs> and it still turns into something, you know? It depends so. on the actor too because some of these actors like a Tom Cruise are producers on the movie too. They yeah. put like their own money into it. So they have a lot more say as to the final product. Then there's yeah. like actors who just show up on set and like, yeah, they have control over their lines, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it depends what's appropriate to the project as well. Like if there's a mutual agreement and relationship already founded that is based on some people just don't get along and they, they argue, but at the end of the day can still produce quality work. Whereas, you know, if you do have 
I don't want to just pull Tom Cruise out again, but an actor of that kind of, you know, fame yeah. come in and then kind of walk all over anyone. It's, you know, it's it's just not very professional because it is a collaborative process and it, it just it just works best when everyone's working together. So it's just, mm -hmm. yeah. And when there's like a hierarchy to it, yeah. you're all at the service of like a vision. Whose movie together. is this? Well, mm -hmm. like that thing. Yeah, like that Mummy movie, Tom Cruise had a lot of influence in that, <laughs> and it became kind of a mess because of it. It became like a weird action movie with him as the star, even though he's not the mummy. You know? Yeah. It's so it's like very weird <laughs> how, what these actors do sometimes. Mm -hmm. We have a good one um, from Crow Guys, who asks, Do you think that jump scares can be used positively? Are there any examples? Yeah. The Lighthouse had one jump scare. Willem Dafoe mm -hmm. came out. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite jump scares is in Mulholland Drive, which isn't really, you know, a horror oh, movie yeah. or anything. But the the hobo behind the the coffee shop, yeah. I mean, I love that scene. It's just such a good buildup of like, there's going to be something scary here, and sure enough, like you're you're prepared for something scary, but you're not prepared for that that face, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Buildup's great. Yeah, in my in my opinion, it would it would be that there are ways to do it properly. Uh, just because a jump scare exists doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. However, uh, where it starts to become a problem is when a film is reliant on jump scares, when when it's more of a mm -hmm. um, excuse to try and get people startled when in reality what's being shown on screen or like the, the ideas it's presenting aren't really scary to begin with. It shouldn't be used as a crutch yeah. is how I feel. Yeah, because I, I think as long as you have, like, you're building towards them or yeah. you're sort of setting them up, I think they're fine. I think sort of an example of what you were talking about, in, in one of the Paranormal Activity movies, mm -hmm. there's a girl just sitting in a kitchen, just reading the paper or something, nothing's happening, you don't hear anything, then all of a sudden all the kitchen cabinet flies open in a big jump scare, and that feels cheap because it's it mm -hmm. nothing was happening you were just sitting mm -hmm. there waiting for something to happen and boom you know but if, if it's it's in the right context yeah. i i love jump scares yeah the the uh phone call trope in so many horror movies Sometimes yeah or like just the friend putting a hand on it oh yeah the, it's like, oh, the, the, oh no my friend yeah, yeah i hate the fake or out ones someone yeah, walking past so the screen that's somebody that should be in the scene anyway <laughs> like <laughs> things that things that wouldn't be scary unless you added an, an orchestral hit and even then it's just yeah. more startling than scary on the on the thread someone pointed out a really good one that mm -hmm. isn't in a horror movie um in Jurassic Park, with the goat leg slamming down on the car right before that whole mm. like Tyrannosaurus Rex oh, sequence, yeah. Yeah. I remember that, that 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 one's stuck in my mind from since yeah. I was a kid. I remember that <laughs> shocking me. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, there's um, I remember there being at least one or two good ones in The Descent, but that's also a film that you know the whole movie isn't jump scares. There's there's so many different yeah. elements of fear that go into the movie. There's like the claustrophobia. There's like everything's yeah. dark, you know, like there's there's so many different ways of scaring people and it doesn't just do, do the same thing over and over. It's it's not it's it hurts the movie when it gets too repetitive and yeah. especially when you can just see jump scares coming. It's like I, I personally felt like in the new uh, like it chapter two. Just the way that they did the jump scares in that movie, I, I just, every single time it was just predictable for me. 
Because you saw the formula of how it was happening at first. And then it's like, oh, okay. So they're just going to do the, ooh, is something there? Oh, it's not there. Turn around and then jump scare. And it's just like every single time it happened, I was just like, you know, I, sh I shouldn't I shouldn't be ahead of the film in that way. But yeah, there's there's a lot of examples yeah. where it's done well, for sure. I thought that actually in the uh, the opening scene for Lights Out, that was a good one. Oh, okay. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? The, the one um, when it's uh, she just comes closer. Yeah, it was that? the with the the woman at the beginning, uh, which was kind yeah. of like, I guess that scene was pretty similar to the uh, original short, right? The short film. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I thought that, that was effective. It doesn't it doesn't feel cheap because it's like a part of the gimmick of the film, and I don't mean gimmick in a negative way, but it's a part of like yeah what like <laughs> no, but it, I mean that's what it is, and yeah. it is sort of a popcorn horror movie where that sort of stuff is, is expected people mm -hmm. want their jump scares in a movie like that you know yeah i mean mm -hmm. it's literally like but it's interesting they, they, lights they, on, they lights it's interesting how many people i've heard from now here in hollywood where it's like oh yeah we did a variation of that lights out gag in 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 this film i was working on like the director showed us the the short film and said oh, yeah. like we got to do something like that it's like oh really <laughs> so it's it's inspired a lot of people which yeah. I, I think it's great now, but when it first went viral, there was like this Indian movie that just ripped it off completely. Mm -hmm. oh, and sure. I was like, what the hell? Like, here I am in Sweden, broke, <laughs> trying to make movies, and yeah. they're just stealing my stuff. Why don't, you know, I could direct the movie for them. Just, you know, let me do that. But now I just see that's, oh, that's, that's flattering. <laughs> I was going to say, in film school, there are at least two people who made like exact copies of Lights Out like yeah. in, in film class it just presented it <laughs> oh that's like funny. the same exact concept yeah, yeah. way worse <laughs> you know. it's being done just know you're inspiring tons of young artists yeah <laughs> which is which is great you know yeah that must have when you just when you thought of that concept that must have been a i cannot believe no one has done it like this before like kind of yeah moment. and i mean variations of it have, have mm, been done yeah, like yeah. there's an x-files episode called, called darkness falls where you don't i think that's the other way around or like they don't kill you unless you're in the dark but you're they're mm -hmm. still there in the light or something but i mean variations of it have been done mm -hmm. yeah i guess like the weeping angels and doctor who as well sort of similar yeah. ideas where they're like My similar mechanics yeah. yeah it's just the light aspect that makes it interesting to me let's do this one uh just for david from new old face what kind of professional experience do people who write scripts for Hollywood films typically have? Are they typically literature majors, accomplished novelists, etc.? Um, it seems experience. to be all kinds of things, really. I mean, some start out as assistants and just work their way up, I guess. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but it seems that people come from all over and they have all sort of different stories. I'm not sure I'm the right person to answer that. <laughs> I was just you curious to have a perspective rough. more than anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They have it rough in Hollywood, though. The writers, you mean? Or... Yeah, I think they do. Well, like, um, I hear a lot about how, like, uh, their scripts are taken by studios and repurposed and rewritten. And, you know, I can imagine that's kind of disheartening as a writer yeah. Yeah, to, like, have the... your work messed with in that way. And a lot of them yeah, have kind of, of accepted it, it and, and moved on. Yeah, but that's part of selling it, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just television like if someone was is writing more a, book. a writer's medium. They're yeah, the, exactly. The writer is the boss. Mm. Yeah. You know, while on movies, it's often the director, and the director can go like, "No, I don't. Let's change this and let's do right, that." Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's that story of like, uh, if you get fired, 
off of your movie that you're writing that's a good thing because that means the movie's getting made because they're taking in a new writer to just do some fixes before they go and shoot Mm -hmm. it you know (laughs) uh so that happens a lot and sometimes people they get fired from their own movie another writer comes in and does a pass and then they get hired again on their own movie and it gets made so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's strange Mm -hmm. oh yeah sometimes it's a good thing yeah yeah to have that many voices in it when you're selling your work you can't you can't get too attached (laughs) to uh how it's going to turn out in the final product Yeah. Yeah. No, it was interesting. uh, When I first got the script for Shazam, it had like a list of like 10 writers, like with William Goldman and all these Mm -hmm. like famous names, because they've been trying to make a movie of that for over a decade Mm. and just had all these writers do different uh, takes on it or whatever. So, so the script I read had all these names, but then of course it goes through arbitration when once the movie gets made and they see that no, no, only these two writers actually <laughs> wrote this version of right, the movie. Yeah, so okay. all those other names get taken yeah. off. That's crazy to think about too, all the scripts that just never got made. Oh yeah. Like even yeah. for the same film or just all these different movies that just never happen. Yeah, but sometimes mm-hmm. they happen a decade later, like Gemini yeah. Man or twenty years <laughs> exactly. later. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rob's yeah. favorite? <laughs> yeah, best movie of the year, actually. <laughs> Forget a lighthouse. <laughs> All right, one more question. Okay, let's end on this one. Speaking of uh, It Chapter 2, Little Wolf 9 asks this. What do you gorgeous boys feel is the best TV slash film adaptation of Stephen King's novels? Hell of a lot to choose from. Shining. See, I, I was going to choose The Shining, but from yeah, what but I hear, really. I haven't read The Shining book, but it's very different yeah yeah um, kubrick's well, the shining is kind counts. of a fuck you to the novel in ways <laughs> it is there's yeah. a part where they drive by the the wreckage of the car from the novel <laughs> it's kubrick saying yeah, right. yeah it's like an extra little like yeah i don't care about your book and then stephen king yeah. got mad and tried to make his own made for tv version where he's like this is the Which true writing and then it yeah this the wasn't version. Good. yeah there's a lot to yeah i mean from. you have the non-horror ones like like shawshank redemption which yeah. is great you know but uh i've always had a soft I, I haven't seen it in a very long time so this might not hold up but i always had a soft spot for needful things with max one zero mm-hmm. oh, i haven't seen that i've one. never seen that needful things yeah it's pretty cool it's about sort of a guy who opens up a shop with with everything you you want in it but he doesn't charge for it like instead like hey I, i'll give you this if you just do me a favor oh you know? yeah that and he sort of gets this whole oh, town i've seen variations of that yeah in like yeah. maybe a, like a Simpsons Treehouse of Terror parody sort of thing, probably. Yeah. Hmm. Let's see. I'm just going through the list here. If we're gonna talk about like the horror ones, I kind of like The Mist. I I I know that. Uh, oh yeah, The Mist. Yeah. There's a few people that, and even in my memory, like I, I watched it again for the 2007 list thing that I'm just finishing up now. In my memory, it was always kind of like you know, half ironic enjoyment. You know, it's like kind of bad or something. Right. And then I found out that the version I've been watching the entire time was not the the intended version. That originally really? Frank Darabont wanted the film to be in black and white. And so on the collector's edition two-disc Blu-ray, on the second disc, you can actually watch the black and white version. And it completely changes the experience of the movie. It's like so more clear what it's going oh. for. The effects look better. It's so much more atmospheric. I was going to say, I'm like, yeah. wow, did they shoot it like, for black and white? Um, I think. Well, it was shot in color, and then they 
remove. Oh yeah, shot the, But like, yeah. did they light it like they were going to make it black and white? I don't. The they knew they were going to do that. I would have to look it up. I, I don't know exactly how far yeah. into the process. I'm just curious that they decided they because if like the studio anyway. just put it in color after all that, yeah, exactly. That's probably, like, yeah, because it doesn't. The issue. It yeah. looks so much better that's in really black and white. Yeah. yeah, I doubt the studio would go like. I mean, the studio would probably say right up front that no, you can't shoot it in black and white. <laughs> so it's, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but that's a shame because like I think that's. That's like the only thing that really takes me out of that movie is the visual element, yeah, like yeah. Some of the effects and the cinematography. But like the story was really great and the acting was great too. It's so depressing though that I haven't rewatched yeah. it in forever. Very dark, and mature. It, it completely transforms the movie and it turns it into like I mean, there, there's like an intro on the the Blu-ray by Frank Darabont too, and he's saying like, yeah, this is like a this is like a homage or homage or homage, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> Uh, to like uh, mid 1960s pre-color horror films, and it's it becomes so much more clear in its presentation when you see it in black and white. It's like, oh wow, this is what it was trying to go for this entire time, I, I, and it works so much better. It's so weird. Yeah, because isn't the main character like a painter or something? He like paints posters or something. I remember movie yeah, posters like that, being yeah. part of the story and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of bottle movies, I really like. Uh, I haven't seen it for a long time, but Misery. I like that story. Oh, yeah. mm. And something quite frightening about the the obsessive sort of fan that takes it a step too far, and I remember there being quite a memorable ending to that mm-hmm. one. I'm uh, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't seen it yet. I love Kathy Bates. Misery's great. I know it's yeah. it's something that I should have seen by this point, and I just haven't. It's just been sitting on my on my list for a while. Yeah, it's awesome for memory. I've seen many parodies, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's a very pop culture film. Cool. I guess uh, I guess that's, that's it. That's the end. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. So I guess uh, Alex, it's your turn for the recommendation for next episode, right? Yeah, it's like catch up. Um, yeah. I want to talk about a 1991 film I've been meaning to watch for a long time. David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch. Awesome. It has always been interesting oh. looking for me. Have you guys seen it? Um, no. I saw. I was so young and I saw parts of it <laughs> right, when my brother right. was watching it and it always looks very intriguing. Um so I know I know what it is like. Like there's definitely yeah, it's, things it's visually crazy. in my <laughs> mind that I have not forgotten. Um but yeah, I would love to talk about that. Awesome. Maybe. Okay. Okay, brilliant. Ninety one Cronenberg Naked Lunch. And I think it's pretty easy to get hold of. Pretty easy no, to I'm get just saying because like we always have this issue of yeah, people like <laughs> Trying to find copies. This is one I'm pretty sure it's just on iTunes. It's I think it's on Criterion find. too. Even better. Yeah. Great. All right. Anybody uh, listening, if you don't want to be spoiled for Naked Lunch, we're going to have a uh, spoiler discussion on that next episode. Uh, so watch it between now and then, which will be two weeks from now. Theoretically, even earlier, if you decide <laughs> to uh, support us on uh, Patreon. Uh, dot com slash sardonicast or sardonicast.com sign up for premium it's uh two dollars a month you get these episodes early as they're edited also we got merch check out the merch christmas is coming out soon christmas is coming up soon yeah. <laughs> the movie christmas soon. it's coming out uh get your gifts <laughs> get your gifts you want to <laughs> you want to support us you want to be charitable and also if you want to support uh, our lovely guest go buy his films Lights Out, Annabelle Creation, Shazam. Check out his YouTube channel, yeah. Pony Smasher, where he has a lot of uh, yep. 
insightful observations about the industry and filmmaking. And uh, that's also your Twitter handle too. Anything else you want to plug or promote? No, that's about it. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you so for much for coming me. on, dude. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Got me to see Thirst. Yeah, boy. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.